0: Hey guys, new episode of Eastman's Elevated here. Um, so today is a fun episode for me. Today I have on uh, one of my good buddies. And, and anytime I can get my close circle of friends on here, I think it makes for a really good conversation. Just because we know each other and have a good energy together and spent a bunch of time together. So today's a good one. It's, it's my good buddy, Phil Larson. Um, so Phil... Uh, we've known each other for about ten years or so, maybe more. And and I met Phil in the archery shop. And and I was just so thirsty for knowledge. And Phil was such a great shooter and so knowledgeable. He shoots tournaments, and then he's a really good hunter. And and so I would go into the bow shop and just um just looking for advanced tuning tips and and, and advanced setup on my bow. And and Phil was always willing to answer my questions. And so over the years we become good friends. And we've been on some hunts together. And and uh, he's just, he's always been my go-to guy for archery. A lot of what I know about archery I've learned from Phil. So, um, you know, I can't thank him enough for, for helping me out and, and always being willing to to share information with me. So this is a good episode. We talk about, we talk about accuracy and being accurate and just being successful as a public land hunter. Um, so really fun one for me. Um, today's sponsor is Hornady, uh, ELDX Bullet. Um so their bullet is technologically advanced to be an all-range hunting bullet. It's match accurate, highest ballistic coefficiencies, and consistent controlled expansion. Um you know, and, and a lot of this goes over my head, but talking to my buddy Pat, which I've also recorded a podcast with that we're gonna release and and uh, you know, he is a long range rifle guy and he is deep down the rabbit hole of shooting shooting rifles at, at match accurate distances and, and he tells me that this is the bullet he uses. And and it's one of those deals when somebody knows more than you and they say they use it, it's a good product. And so um, Pat told me this is a great bullet and a, a great bullet to be sponsored. Sponsoring the podcast. So thanks to Hornady for, for uh, getting involved with Eastman's Elevated. Um so over there at the Eastman's office, we've got a bunch going on right now. So we just launched the new a new app that um allows you to access the magazines and the MRS section. Um so you need to need a digital subscription to it. Um and then once you have a digital subscription, you can download the app from any app store. Um the app's really cool. So I got on it I've been using um the Eastman's app a bunch lately as I'm putting in for all my states, I um and I put in for Nevada. Uh, you know, I've told you guys that I've never hunted Idaho before, so I've been really researching Idaho. And they've got some early hunts and some late hunts. And, and I just, I really use this Eastman's app or the MRS section, and I, I use it along with maps and along with Google Earth to kind of just get get everything dialed in to where I want to hunt. So I've got a couple spots that I'm really excited about in Idaho. Um, been looking into Nevada a bunch. I'm in for Colorado. Been looking at this drainage in Colorado where I saw this giant heavy buck years ago and, and couldn't figure out how to get in the drainage. And I think I've finally been able to find a way to access into this drainage. So really excited about that. But the MRS section, check out the new app. Um, it's really cool You can download it on your phone Everything's scaled Has the MRS section in it uh, It's just a great resource for us hunters And you can read all the all the articles in there And all the past magazines So really cool deal Designed really well um, Also uh, make sure to subscribe to the E-News There at Eastman's They send out an email you know Scott Reekers does a great job with this e-news. Um, you know I get it on my email and and even though I know a lot of the stuff coming on or coming up at Eastmans, I'll get that that new email and it'll have four or five things on there that you can click on and go read uh, you know an article on there. You know it it attaches to the to the Eastman's Elevated, um, they just do a bunch of really cool things there with that e-news, so subscribe to that, and also check out that YouTube channel we got going, um, Dan Picard has been putting out some some great information on that, or, or great content on that, um, so make sure to check out that, uh, and with that, let's get this thing rolling, so me and my buddy uh, Phil Larson, here we go. All right, I'm here with my buddy Phil, how are you, Phil? good how are you yeah doing good yeah you're one of my buddies we've been hunting together gosh we we've probably known each other for 10 years now and and then um you've worked in the industry you work for black gold and do a lot with designing their sights and and producing their sights um you're so technically sound you're such a good shot whether it's with your bow or with your rifle so i kind of wanted to dive in just to what's important with accuracy or what's important to become a better shot and how you make your shot on critters. And, and maybe we can start with, um, you know, your rifle shooting and you've just kind of gotten into this, like the last few years, you've got really excited about your rifle hunting and put more effort into it. And you've been able to knock down some really good critters with your rifle. So what were kind of some of the first steps you took or the decision you made to be a better rifle hunter?
1: Well, uh, Part of that was out of high school, I was strictly bow hunter, did nothing but bow hunt. And when the elk season came around, I was done hunting. You know,
0: when the late season, right? Late
1: season came around yep. during the rifle season, I was done hunting. And, you know, at, actually, it started off with you. We were uh, on a late season elk hunt, and I decided to bring my rifle and I hadn't brought my rifle out. I drew a moose tag. Um, the year before and had shot uh, the moose with the rifle after I couldn't get it done with my bow and was like, that was kind of fun. And it extends my season. And then you and I had gone out and gone on that elk hunt. And I ended up uh, the very next day shooting a deer with my rifle.
0: Oh, a good buck too.
1: Yeah. That was, that was a fun trip, but it It was was a big muley buck, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. One of those things where it just like, this can extend my season, you know, I've been in the industry. I've been working for black gold for 13 years and you get so caught up in, uh, you know, having to do what the industry wants you to do. You got to make the catalog. You got to be in the next article. You got to do all of this. And pretty soon you figure out like, what are you doing this for? Are you doing it for you? or Are you doing it for them? And after a while, if you're not doing it for them, then do it for you. You know, it was like everybody out there was just bow hunting and, I started rifle hunting again, and I was like, "This is really fun. I get to extend my season, and you know, just one of those things. I had, I had grown up rifle hunting, so it wasn't strange or different to me. But it wasn't what the industry wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Once you take that out of the equation, you have you have a lot more fun hunting."
0: Yes, for sure. No, you do it for you and do it for the fun of hunting. Um, well, and and I learned like some of my fondest memories of hunting is those late season elk with my rifle. i used to go for it so hard. I used to love it. And, you know, now I pretty much exclusively bow hunt, but I still go out with family and friends, rifle hunting. And we've been on rifle hunts together, Mm -hmm. you know, where you're rifle hunting. Um, But I learned so many great lessons like hunting elk and hunting in this high-pressure rifle world because us in Montana, they're pretty much all general tags. And so we've got a lot of pressure to contend with, and those animals know how to avoid that pressure. And so you've got to hike more miles and figure out their tendencies and figure out where they're hanging in their hiding holes. But I learned a ton from late-season rifle hunting. That's really what I cut my teeth and gained a lot of my knowledge from.
1: And the nice thing about um, if you start rifle hunting – and you're okay at rifle hunting and then you start bow hunting and you become okay at bow hunting you go back to rifle hunting it's you're a phenomenal rifle (laughs) right yeah totally you got to 200 yards and you're trying to figure out how you're going to close the deal and you're like oh wait i'm i'm already here you know um but definitely one of those things where i just got back into it and what i got into was what i like to call precision Mm -hmm. a lot of guys like to be It's the new long range phenomenon and long range comes with that. But if it's not precision to me, then I don't want to do it. Yep. Uh, I've passed on multiple animals that were not what I would consider a long shot, but because I didn't know 100% that I could put that projectile right where I wanted, I didn't want to do it. Yeah. It's, it's, It's one thing shooting steel or shooting foam at a 3d, you know, launching arrows at, 90, 100 yards at, uh, you know, some of the 3D shoots we have. But, man, you get on a game animal and all of a sudden they look a lot smaller. And so being able to know without a doubt from going from my archery experience to this new rifle experience and being able to put it together to where it was a precision thing and not just I can shoot that far because anybody can shoot that far. A rifle will shoot, you know, thousands of yards whether it's precision or not, but being able to, without a doubt, look at something and going, that's where I'm going to hit. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you're, whatever weapon you're choosing, whether it's rifle or bow, if, if you have a doubt in your mind that you're going to lose this arrow or shoot that bullet down range and you're hoping mm-hmm. that it's going to go there, that's not a good thing.
0: It's probably not going to happen, right? It's
1: probably not going to happen Yep. versus if you tee up and you're like, I've done this, you know, A ton of times at 100 now i'm at 40 and i shoot this arrow and i know confidently like yep this this antelope he's going to catch it he's done or even if you're shooting four or 500 yards uh with a rifle being able to know like i am not i hope it's going to go there knowing yep this is where he's going to catch it i know my wind i know my drift you know everything about it you know it makes that, that's the thing I, I don't like to call it long range I like to call it precision
0: yeah well and everybody's a long range shooter nowadays right. aren't they yeah any
1: rifle they buy anything they set any, up but any, any sight they buy for their bow as yeah well as a slider yeah everybody's shooting long range
0: yeah but you're so right uh you are precision and you you are the definition of it and I don't know that I've heard of you missing an animal with your rifle since you took up long range. Well, I maybe there's one here or there, but um, for the most part, you make every single shot you take. And I, you know, and I think a lot of it. I mean, you've got the right setup with your gear, but you practice a lot. And that's, you know, with my rifle, I was the best when I ran, you know, a minimum of a hundred rounds through my rifle a year. When I practice at different ranges, different conditions, I pack, I practice past my effective range but i just really got familiar with my rifle that's where i was most effective and i think that's where you do best is is you know your equipment really well and you've got a really nice setup now you know you're, you're not shooting grandpa's ot six or anything like that you know you set up a rifle for shooting uh, precision but i think a lot of your precision comes from your practice
1: Yep, yep. knowing knowing what you're doing with your weapon whether it's a bow or a rifle and just being very very familiar with it um you know, one of the things I started doing was shooting these, uh, practical long range matches, which, you know, we're shooting very long range, but you get to, you know, practice in the conditions, practicing in positions that you're not going to, that you would never shoot while you're in a hunting situation, but being able to get accustomed to that kind of situation, you know, makes it way better for hunting as far as, you know, being able to, um, figure out what you're
0: doing uh. yeah just well the more you practice with it the more comfortable and the more confidence you get and it's the same thing with your bow i'm always pushing outside my comfort level when i'm practicing mm-hmm. and whether that's shooting on my knees whether that i mean sometimes i'll even shoot off one foot cuz i'm off balance and i'm shooting you know longer distances than i'd never shoot at an animal but i'm i'm pushing the limits of what i can do trying to maximize my practice and then also you know, I, I I'm shooting in in wind conditions where I'd never take a shot, but you learn how to lean your bow over into the yep. wind and like uh one well, I think I think it was even maybe you that taught me this trick ten years ago is to cant my bow in the mm-hmm. wind. So you know if you've got a right to left wind, you will cant your bow to the to the right side and then you can hold your pin right on the yep. target and hit right in the middle. You taught me that canning trick and that has collected me a couple animals, but it's amazing how even like a a five mile an hour thermal wind will affect your arrow at 50 yards i mean it'll blow that arrow dang near off the target and and with rifles too the wind judge has got to be one of the the toughest things to judge and get down but the way you get better at it is by practicing by practicing
1: yep exactly that's the thing is if you never do that if you never shoot in the wind once you get out in a scenario if you always shoot inside or shoot in a situation where there's no wind, go outside and shoot in the wind, and see how steady you can hold your All bow. All of a sudden,
0: you're a shitty shot,
1: huh? <laughs> a lot of guys will say, "Oh, you know, it was it was blowing 15 miles an hour." I was like, "I'm here to tell you, if the wind's blowing more than six or seven, you can't hold your bow no. steady." No, oh, I know it, right? You know, and with rifle, you know, normally you're shooting from a prone position if you can get it. And the wind is the only variable that you have to deal with. If, if, a, if a rifle is set up properly, you can eliminate all the other variables. But, man, that wind, you're shooting such a long way. The wind could be going right to left in front of you, and then you go over a canyon, and then it will be going down quartering. Oh. And then when it gets there, it could be going left to right. And oh, so gotcha. being able to read the mirage and and figure out where the wind's going, unless you actually do that on a consistent basis there's there's no way to uh, get ready for that situation unless you just do it and that's why yeah. like the practical rifle matches are awesome because some of the situations we shoot in you'll send one and you're like oh yeah i got it doped and it'll hit off the wrong side of where you were holding because the wind down range was doing something completely different than what you're reading
0: from 800 yards back oh gotcha so there's so much to it and you're right like in canyons the wind can be blowing harder like you were saying it can be going left to right but then in the canyon the thermals yeah. are pulling it down where it's pulling it right to left or whatever so just the more you do it the more comfortable you get with reading mirages or reading the grass mm-hmm. at your target reading winds and knowing how to dope for it where if you don't practice it's just a guess there's yeah. no way you're going to hit that oh, yeah. thing right just a guess
1: and at that point that's where
0: <clears throat> you know a
1: lot of situations that i've shot that distance i decide in a hunting situation i'm not going to do it Mm -hmm. because i'm not experienced enough to know okay is the wind up that draw where maybe that bear is standing is it going the same direction that i'm reading the wind or is it going down the canyon is it going up the canyon i just can't tell and so being able to decide you know what i'm not i'm not going to chance it i'm going to work my way around and get into a position where i know i can make that shot or i know Uh, the rifle is going to be able to handle that kind of wind at that distance or just flat out not have the situation materialize, but not ruin the situation by trying to guess and trying to hope that it's going to go there.
0: Yeah. Trying to force it. When I was, when I
1: was younger and when I was, you know, less experienced, I wanted every situation to happen, especially with my bow. You know, you get so few opportunities to shoot at something with a bow, you'll force them Mm -hmm. and, more often than not, they, they go south really fast. Whereas now it's like I know this isn't gonna work. Rather than chance it and know I'm gonna screw it up, maybe maybe I can back out. Maybe I can mm-hmm. find him again. Maybe I don't, but at least he's not walking around with a new set of hardware in his leg or in his guts or you know, you miss or it blow the whole opportunity, you know?
0: Yeah, it's a calmer mindset to the situation, but you're you're absolutely right. Like, um, and I was gonna ask you because you are so ethical and you do pass up shots at animals that you just say, oh, "I'm not sure." You know, I've seen you do it with a bow and seen you do it with a rifle. And I was gonna ask if that was learned over time or if that was <laughs> something you had you were born with. But that's no. the same with me. I had to learn uh, over time too. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it just. You know, I'd, I'd push my comfort level, and I'd, I'd set a maximum range for you know whatever, well, fifty yards. And if it was standing at fifty-seven or sixty, I'd take the opportunity. But you're right; you end up missing or screwing up, and you learn your lesson pretty quick that you better hold yourself to a higher standard. And, and you want to, just like you said earlier, having that confidence in your shot of knowing a hundred percent where that arrow is going. Then they die almost every time. Then you start to collect trophies. It's that confidence and. And, like you said, it's a calmer mindset like of, of not sending bombs down range. And, like, I think with today's bows and the slider setups and the long range, and guys practice at 80, 90, 100, including me, including you. You know, we shoot long range, but um, those are the shots you want to pass up on animals. I get those opportunities at animals and trophy class animals. And, like you say, I'd rather not screw it up and continue to hunt that animal. And whether it's backing it up, uh, backing out, and getting another opportunity or another approach. Or another opportunity the next day, but like you say, just not hitting that thing wrong and ruining your whole hunt and having to, you know, have this this dark cloud over your season because you took a shot that was over your effective range. But that, it's that you knew from the beginning was going to go south. Yes, it's just like at league. So me
1: and Brian always shoot a target league, and one of the hardest things for new target archers to deal with is letting down. When mm-hmm. the, when the shot's not going to go right, let down. Don't let it go, and you get a lot of grief from other guys who are like, well, just just power through it. It's like, I, d- I don't want to let a bad shot go. And more often than not, if you let down, you take your time, you think about what you were doing, the next one's going right in the center every time. Mm-hmm. When you go to force it, sometimes it goes right. More often than not, it doesn't go right. But if you let down and think about what you're doing and take that shot again, more often than not, it goes right in the X. Well, that's the same thing with hunting. The only problem with hunting is, it's so hard to even get one chance to shoot at the X that you don't want to not shoot it. Mm-hmm. And that's where guys get in trouble is like, this is further than I can shoot uh, situation's going South. I, I, I got to let it go. And next thing you know, Animals either missed or wounded, or yeah, you know, it doesn't. It
0: doesn't work out, does no. it? No, and you've got to conquer that mindset. Be confident in your ability, but pass up those marginal shots or those shots that are farther than your effective range. Really get inside your kill range where you know a hundred percent they're dead, and that's where you take the shot. That's funny you mentioned target archery. God dang it! I, <laughs> I that uh, we shot last night, and I made the worst mistake on my final arrow. So. I was shooting a decent round. It wasn't off the charts or anything, but I got to my final arrow, and then you're kind of adding up your score in your head. And you know what you've shot. You just gotta just gotta shoot next your last arrow. No big deal. And I I draw back, and the shot wouldn't break, and so I let down like I was supposed to, like I've been taught, like I've practiced, you know, and. And uh, so good to go. Come back to full draw again. And by now, the whole line's finished up. There's still no pressure. I could let down three shots, but for some reason, I've got this mental block where now I can't let down a shot twice. And so I'm sitting at full draw for the second time on my final arrow of the round, and I force that arrow, and I shot an eight. I haven't shot an eight. For a year, I haven't shot an eight all right. season long. I haven't. It's a horrible shot. It was because I forced it because I wouldn't let down a second time, and so I learned that lesson again last night the hard way yeah. by dropping my final arrow. You know, just mm-hmm. so pissed at myself. But you know, it just it just happens, and you learn from it and get better. But um yeah, it's just it's so hard to do with hunting. I mean, a guy can become a phenomenal shot
1: at target because you do have the opportunity to let down over and over and over again. But I mean. Being able to get within bow range uh, of an animal is such a rare occurrence. You know, you you want every single time you do it to go well, but they're not always going to go well.
0: No, you're so right. Um, You just feel this pressure to want to get a shot. You want to lose a shot whether it hits him or not at the time. And then you miss him and you go, Why in the hell did I Why do it, that? It, the second but, it leaves your bow, you're like, that was dumb. Yeah. Well, and you just you're working so hard, like you say, for that opportunity. And when you're first starting bow hunting, I mean, you only may you may only get a couple opportunities a season, or maybe only one, or maybe zero. Maybe you're it's right. one opp opportunity for a couple days of hunting. But you're right, you want it so bad that you end up messing it up because of that. Mm-hmm. You you want to get that shot off so bad. And like like I say, you almost want to get that shot off. Whether it hits him or not, you just want to get a shot at him because you don't want that opportunity to slip through your fingers. But the more calm and collective you can look at that situation and really wait, like a big thing for me was being patient and waiting for that animal to turn, not trying to force a a quartering forward shot or not trying to force an arrow in between two limbs, like really waiting on that animal and waiting for my opportunity, maybe waiting for his head to be down until I draw. But this... This calm, patient attitude, that's what kills trophies. Yeah. It isn't the rush, hurry up, try to get a shot, try to force it. It's this patient, wait for the right opportunity and execute your shot.
1: Yeah, and one, one thing I, I've found that helps me out a lot is, it sounds silly, but when you're in the process of stalking an animal, almost, almost go through what you want to have happen in your head. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I've got this mule there. He's down in a coulee. I'm going to, I'm going to sneak down to this rock. I'm going to come over here and then tell yourself on the way down there, I'm going to draw my bow. I'm going to come up. I'm going to center my feet. I'm going to look at my bubble and I'm just going to pull on the shot until it breaks Mm -hmm. and just repeat that in your head. And there's been numerous times where I've just, I've said that over and over and over in my head and, you almost force yourself to do it versus mm-hmm. if you're, if you're just kind of caught up in the moment, next thing you know, you're just like at full draw and, you know, pin somewhere close. And next thing you know, you let it go and it, it's gone. And you're just like, ah, I just, i worked all day for that. And I just blew it, you know? Yeah, totally. Anymore. I'd rather, I'd rather have something go wrong and an animal get away because I couldn't quite execute my shot properly because I know and enough people have been around me to know that, I mean, if that thing hits full draw and lets me execute my shot, it's catching one.
0: Yep, me too. Um, I think that's so important going through those steps in your head. So you do it just a touch different than I do, but the same theory applies. I take the most important thing and I repeat it to myself like a mantra. Yep. And a lot of times mine is like, keep pulling or pull on your yep. shot or, you know, whatever it is. And I repeat that on my stock constantly to myself. And another thing that really helps me is taking those steps, like you, you went through those steps and forcing yourself how to do it. But like what I do is I try to walk through myself through those steps in high adrenaline, you know, high pressure situations. And so when I'm practicing at my house, you don't always have to walk yourself through the steps, but I practice it at my house. And I do the same thing where I, I tell myself, okay, draw back. And the first thing I tell myself is execute a good shot. I tell myself that as I'm drawing my bow, execute a good shot. And if I can say that as I'm drawing my bow, I won't force it. I won't punch it. And then I get back and I talk to myself in my own head and I say, okay, put the pin on him there and keep it there. Put the pin on him and aim. Mm-hmm. And I put that pin on him and aim. And then I just talk myself through it and I go, keep pulling, keep pulling. And that shot breaks. That animal's dead every time if I can do that. Yes. It's when I skip those steps and I try to force a shot or I, you know, or I don't think about my mantra when I'm moving in and I'm just thinking about stalking that animal and even as experienced as I am as experienced as you are we can drop the ball again just tomorrow or the next stock we can drop so it's a conscious effort on every stock every animal to go through those steps in your head I think
1: oh yeah and it's one of those things a lot of very good archers do target archers uh, phenomenal bow hunters but you don't hear about it a lot because it's it's not something that's very popular it's it's the hard work that goes into it like if you watch somebody who's beginning to be really good at target archery when they go over every process in their shot sequence where their feet are where their hips are where their hand is on their bow how they address their release how they draw back and it's just over and over and over again until it becomes muscle memory But that's the thing that a lot of people won't tell you is is how hard they'll work on that kind of stuff. You know, when I go over to your house and shoot with you, we're both doing our thing. We're shooting arrows downrange, but we're both working on it in our head. You know, okay, where's my feet? Where's my hand? If we have to let down, why did we let down? Uh, Was it something because, you know, our front shoulder got down? We got too far back. You know, we got behind in our shot. And so we know it's going to go south. It's not something that's talked about a bunch, but, you know, if you start hanging out at archery shops or, you know, starting going to shoots and stuff like that, like ask people why they did what they did, you know, Mm -hmm. and more often than not, it's for a pretty good reason. Mm -hmm. You know, why'd you let down on that shot? Well, I got behind in my shot. Well, Mm -hmm. what happens when you get behind in your shot? You've been aiming too long. Your muscles only have so much oxygen feels like it's aiming correctly but all the pressures and tensions that you're putting on your bow are changing and now it's gotten to a point where when it does finally break it's not going to break the way it would have if it broke five seconds earlier and so you learn i'm going to let down on this i know Mm -hmm. i've gone past my stage and if you can start to do that in your practice as hard as it is if you can translate that into hunting when you get in those situations and talking yourself through it calming down saying just just let it be you know make a good shot aim 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 until the shot breaks and if it doesn't if the animal takes a couple steps and you have to let down or he walks behind a bush you know let that happen you know yeah you're going to get a lot better at you know recognizing when it is going to go south and aborting versus you know you send a an errant arrow over a high country mule deer at twelve thousand feet you think he's going to give you a chance to do it again tomorrow (laughs) absolutely not no right you're never going to see him again you know it's not like target archery where you can just go ahead let down and have that mulligan yeah you know but it takes people so long bow hunting to do that Mm -hmm. to acquire all that kind of knowledge to go nope let this one be you know i'm just gonna let this That's like stocking antelope. Antelope's a perfect example. You know, you look out there, you see them every time you go out. There's a monster buck sitting in the field. There's no way you're going to get on him. Mm -hmm. You know, if you learn to only take the situations that are supposed to, you know, that have high uh, percentage, you know, and learn once you get in that situation that, you know, what you did to get to that point isn't going to work. Don't keep pushing it back out. Stop. Regroup. Try it again. Yep. Because if you didn't bugger him, if you didn't shoot that arrow and arrow, the next time might also not go right. But eventually when you do get to full draw and, and have everything happen right, you're going to start you know collecting more animals, start having way more success.
0: Yep. Otherwise you're forcing them and you'll yep. miss two or three animals in a season and yep. you won't kill anything. And there are shots that you could make a hundred out of a hundred times in your backyard, yep. but all of a sudden you're shooting at an animal and missing it. I think it's important to focus on your execution, and I know you do that, and I do that too. I'm more concerned with my execution of my shot than I am where my arrow hits a lot of times. Yep. You know, I just want to execute a good shot, and so last night I dropped that last point. I couldn't end on that <laughs> arrow. Of course, I had to shoot a couple more rounds, and a couple rounds into it, I, I shot an arrow that didn't quite hit perfect, and I think it was, you know, is a nine, but it was down off the line or whatever. And I said, dang it. And I walked back and I put back my bow and and you looked at me and goes, did the shot execute? And I go, yeah, it executed perfect. It just, the pin was low and left when it went off or right. whatever it is. But I'm more concerned with that good execution than I am concerned with what my group looks down there. The groups will come with time. Oh, yeah. It's all about executing a good shot and then, and then those arrows will start stacking in eventually. But I, I think really focusing on the execution of your shot is really important. For sure. Yep. Yeah, we antelope hunt a bunch down there. Um, We love to do it in my country. You do it around here and everywhere. But we we spot and stalk them for the most part. You know, you do a little bit of blind hunting, I guess. You'll hunt them wherever you have the advantage. (laughs) Um, But we've done a lot of spot and stalk on those things. And and those things teach you what you can get away with and what you can't. What a great experience, teacher. Oh, yeah.
1: No, antelope for sure. I can't decide if antelope or black bear are my favorite. In the fall, antelope are by far, by far my favorite.
0: In the spring, bears are your favorite? Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> right. But uh, I don't know. If you could trade me my elk tag for a, an extra antelope tag, I'd probably do it. But it's one of those animals, it's it's very deceiving because you get to see them all the time. But the problem is most of them are very, very low percentage situations. Like mm-hmm. out in the middle of a falfa field or, you know, with a ton of does and But you can see them, so you want to make that happen. And it's really hard to, you know, walk up, glass a situation that you can see and be like, nope, that's not going to work, and walk away from it. Whereas, you know, if you're in the woods and you hear an elk, and then he shuts up and you can't see him, you're like, well, they must be gone or something, and you're just going to go try to find another one. Whereas antelope, you know, a lot of guys really try to push that envelope. And the problem is with antelope is you can usually get within, I'd say 150 to a hundred yards more often than not. And that's where, unfortunately I'm in this industry, but having those type of slider sights has kind of been a detriment to people getting a lot better at hunting mm-hmm. because they get to 90 yards and they're like, well, I can't get any closer. I'm at the edge of this field and I, you know, I can't sneak up on them." So they're going to roll that sight and shoot that shot where, They shouldn't be shooting that shot
0: in the first place. And and you're such a good archer. If anybody could shoot that shot, you could or I could. We practice nonstop, but we just choose not to. We've learned our lesson over the years that, you know, you're just better to get in closer and kill that thing. And if you're in at 90, it's time to wait and see if that thing gets up, wait and see if he moves positions. But, yeah, you make a good point. You're always looking for high percentage plays. And whether it's muleys, elk, deer, whatever it is – like you can't go into a situation and try to force it. You got to look for a high percentage play with that antelope almost making a mistake or you're waste all your days getting to 100 yards and yeah. spooking an antelope or firing long bombs at him or whatever. But, you know, for me and you, we try to look around for a high percentage and you could I could see the biggest buck in the world. But if he's not in the right spot. I'm going to keep hiking. I'm going to go look for a different scenario for a better scenario, look for one that I can actually stock up on where I'm not going to spend my whole day belly crawling for nothing, where I'm not even going to get close to that thing anyways.
1: Yeah. I mean, ask my wife, she can tell when we're driving around looking at antelope, I'll just look over and be like, yep. uh Uh-huh. Yep. And we'll go on to the next group. Yep. Yep. When we get on something that has that potential, she sees a switch turn Mm -hmm. where I'm like, Oh yeah, that, time to go time to go you know, <laughs> yeah right she's only been hunting for a few years now but she she can tell she's like we'll just drive up and she's like oh look at the size of that buck i'll be like yep snow boring like no way to get on him you know go for another half a day and all of a sudden there's one just begging to get shot in a situation where you're like i can't i can't screw this up later mm-hmm. watch this you know and, and those are the ones you got to be focusing on versus you know uh Wasting all your time on stuff that is a low percentage. And even if you're doing like a a backcountry muley hunt where you might only get um, one chance a day at a buck, don't waste your time on one that's a low percentage. Yep. Move country and go find find one that's in a good spot. You know, it might take you two days, but you might have sat on that buck that was in a a no-go situation for two days Mm -hmm. and never got a chance at it. Yep you know, or blown it and blew up the whole basin or whatever, you know. So it's like, it's one of those things. It's hard to do. It comes with experience, but you just got to go with the high percentage. And then you got to, once you get in that situation, you got to know when to shoot that shot and when to, you know, say, I can't, this is beyond my pay grade. I'm going to let down or I'm going to back out or, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm here to tell you the the more you can grasp on being successful
0: that way, the more often you'll be successful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they start adding up. No, you're so right. You look for a high percentage, and 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 you know, there's multiple moves you can make in the backcountry too. It's uh, you're looking for a high percentage play, um, but but you could also sit and watch that buck and wait for a higher percentage, or you can stage yourself up to where you think he's gonna feed out in the evening, but. I think you just don't want to force a low percentage yep. play because then exactly. you're ruining your opportunity. Or like you said, you can go travel basins and look for a buck in a better spot. But the, there's multiple different options there to do. And, and same with, with antelope. I mean, a lot of times antelope are in a bad spot and 15 minutes later they're in a good spot. You know, So sometimes it's just being patient and waiting for the, the scenario to develop too. Yeah,
1: that's a good point. Yeah, It might be the buck you're after in the backcountry, but don't force... A situation that's not going to work because you'll never see him again.
0: No, you'll uh-huh. see it, you'll see his big kicker and brow times just. <laughs> going away well and it's taught through experience you have to mess up but you have to learn from it so you will go after antelope that you can't kill and i make the mistakes still to this day and i've been hunting for years you know i'll still go after a low percentage buck and i'll go brian you know better than that next time don't you know and then i'll for the rest of the season i'll be better yet or you always you make mistakes but you try to make your best educated guess and then believe in it you know and if you're watching a big muley buck you know you have to you have to see him get to a spot and go, I think I can kill that buck, and that's when you go all in or yeah. but but you never want to risk it if you've got a shifty wind or if you've got other bucks above him or if if you're trying to force it, you know, it it, it never ends up right if you're trying to force it. It isn't a let's see what happens here. It's a I think I can yeah. kill him. This is high percentage. I'm going all in. I'm rolling the dice. If I spook him now, it's a good play for me and I believe in it, and it comes through experience, but you have to trust your instincts, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could sit and watch a buck for seven days and never get a chance at him because you're waiting for this perfect play. Like, you have, to, you have to watch him and then see him get to a spot where you think you can kill him and then go, yep, this is it. I'm gambling and I'm going for him.
1: Oh, yeah, and for sure. And there's, there's a lot of people, we know a couple guys in particular that have made what we would consider very foolish moves on big mule deer that worked out. You just never know, but more often than not, if you're if you're rolling the dice on a, a shifty situation like that, it's not going to work. But when you can start to see, you know, what a good situation looks like, yep, then more often than not, you're going to make more better decisions. We're, we're not by any means saying like all of a sudden you're just not going to start screwing up bow hunting because <laughs> that would get really boring really fast.
0: Yeah, no, we all fail a lot, don't we? No matter how good we okay. get, you fail. But you just gotta keep learning. Like that ex- experience is the best teacher. You just have to listen and pay attention to it, you know? Like you could ignore all of it and just believe you're the best hunter and go, well, it, it winded me, it did this, it did that. But if you're if you really look at each scenario and what went wrong and how it went wrong and try to learn from it, you're evolving as a hunter and it makes you better for the next stock or the next opportunity, I think. Exactly, for sure. Yep. No, for sure. Um so uh, we've been in a few sketchy situ- situations together, um, trying to think what's the worst one, whether it's we've been in some lightning for sure. I You were in a lightning storm by yourself on the antelope prairie one time. I remember oh, hearing yeah. this story. I was at my house, and I should have just had to stay at my house with me, but you were camping out, and you were going to go get in the blind early in the morning, and you were all pumped for it. I think it was opening day or something, right? Yeah, it was. And that was just this, the most epic lightning storm I had seen in my entire life. Did you end up spending the night in your truck? Yeah, what
1: happened? So um, it's actually going to be kind of fun to talk about all the times Brian's tried to kill me over the years. But, <laughs> um, No, I've been hunting this antelope spot. And I I, I truly like to take, you know, whatever the situation dictates, I will try to do. I like to blind hunt. I like to tree stand hunt. I like to spot and stock. If you can find a spot to set up a ground blind for antelope, there's nothing better. I mean, I think the last four antelope I've killed out of a ground blind have all been well, the furthest one was 25 yards, and the other three were 14, just money. But if you don't have a money spot, it's about the most boring time in the world.
0: So I found this money spot. What's a money spot for um, blind setup?
1: Um, water holes that are getting hit very often. Like mm-hmm. when, uh, when I was coming down and scouting uh, this particular area, I would come down probably two or three days a week, It's an hour and a half drive to get down there. And I would just watch. I mean, if they were going there every other day, you know that more often than not, they're going to visit this spot. I was putting trail cameras up. You know, I was getting lots of pictures on the trail camera, Um, you know, before season, right? Yep. Before season And, and scouting and watching and with antelope like if if it's not something that they want to go and do or they're doing habitually like fence crossing that's another good one if you can find where they're gonna cross and it's the only spot for them to cross you have a very good
0: chance if there's so you look for trails right where they're ducking under the fence trails um and then you've actually blocked the fence before in other spots right yep um
1: and that's the thing is, you know, if, if you can find a spot where they're only going, that's great. If you can find a spot where they're crossing five different places, you know, they're going to look and see your blind and be like, no, I'll just cross down there. So, uh, you know, you can take a big rock or, you know, a big sagebrush and just put it underneath the fence. Okay. And, you know, they walk up and they're like, oh, I can't go here. And so they'll come by and go, you know, by where you have your blind. Water is my best bet if there's a spot where they they want to go and drink i killed that one with the big prongs down there because they just kept hitting the water spot over and over and over and every time i went down there i saw them hit the water so i set up my blind on this one spot where they were just crossing the fence like nonstop. i was like oh yeah this is going to be great and uh got down there it was the day before and about i don't know midnight the thunder boomers started rolling through you know it's mid-august and so You never know. It's like late afternoon, you could have some thunderstorms, and all the way into midnight, you're going to have some sort of storm rolling through. Some days, it just, you know, it skirts you. Some days, it goes over the top of you. But that night, I had them come through at like midnight, 1 o'clock, and was like, all right, cool. Actually, I got out of my tent, got back into my car because I felt safer there, and everything was fine, and dandy, 4.30 in the morning, got up, you know, got into my ground blind, hiked a mile into my ground blind, got in there. And as soon as the sun started to come up, it just over the top of me. I mean, <laughs> just a banger, right? Just on all sides. I, I pulled the hub on the top of the blind down. And I was like, well, I'm in the middle of the prairie. The tallest thing out here is my ground blind. I'm going to try to like put it down. It's raining cats and dogs, so I don't want to get out because I'm going to get soaked, but there's lightning banging all all around. I'm just laying flat on the ground like, oh, please don't get me. Please don't get me. It somehow missed me and got up that morning, called Brian. And I was like, dude, did you see that? He's like, yeah, were you in your vehicle? No, I was in my ground blind. What were you doing in your ground blind? <laughs> got to get in early to kill the antelope.
0: Uh, you didn't used to be sketched out by lightning, right? I mean, most people aren't sketched out by no. lightning until you're in it a bunch, right? No. And now that you've hung out with me long enough, I've had you in enough dangerous lightning storms that they, they, you're, uh, you respect them, let's say. You've got the same healthy fear of them as I do. Like, I do not mess with lightning. No.
1: And probably the first time, we didn't actually have any lightning on that trip. Me and Brian were on a uh, mule deer scouting mission way up on the top of the world and we saw a bunch of lightning coming in, and Brian looked at me real seriously. He was like, all right, we got to make our lightning plan. It's Like, lightning plan? What's a lightning plan? He's like, all right, well, it's in the middle of the night. If this rolls over the top of us, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And, I mean, it's steep. Right out of the tents is just, like, this shale slide down, like, a
0: thousand feet is, like, that is one of the gnarliest mountain ranges around, isn't it? That one that we went in scouting. Uh, uh, everything in that place, uh, like uh, you just you fight the underbrush in there trying to get back. I think the you willows, the grass, the the shale the just the and then fur, it, it and gets then, steep, right? It's scary on grass slopes up there, yeah.
1: And get up on top, and Brian's telling me about this lightning plan, and I'm like, what's that? Well, in the middle of the night when it's dark out and it's gonna kill us we're gonna like slide down this 70 degree slope <laughs> and try to like find refuge in the bottom and i'm just like uh maybe i don't want a mule deer hunted yeah, yeah what,
0: have, what have i got myself into with this guy
1: but it ended up you know the the storm passed us and everything but i've been on a couple more hunts actually our bear hunt two years ago same thing we saw it coming i was like uh, this could get sketchy and the next thing you know you know we were in the bottom of that draw uh, Finding the most trees we could, not the tall trees, just find it trying to find trees so the lightning can't get all the way to the bottom. It's snowing, it's raining, it's yeah. If if you haven't been in the backcountry and actually seen a light show from thunder and lightning, like people people make fun of me all the time. I go with uh, my buddy Steve and uh, my wife Andrea, and I see a, a thunder boomer fifty miles out, and I'm like, okay, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? And they're just like, dude, it's not even going to hit us so you've had a
0: couple roll
1: over the top of you every single one is out to get you yeah
0: i can't believe steve hasn't wrote out some some bad ones he probably did this year in nevada nevada is pretty electric it's spooky down there but yeah that one in the bear season that you're talking about that was a pretty gnarly one and we got in a really safe spot so like phil was saying we like to look for lows and draws that we can get down into in refuge and then i like to find the cover of trees and i like to I don't like the biggest trees in there. I don't like the big tall ones, but little smaller trees so we we found about the the best spot you could ride out a lightning storm just because we can see it coming we know it's coming we plan for it, get down in a good spot and ride it out but you know we were a few miles back in or whatever but we uh we hunker down you know and then i I kneel down and we get on our feet you know we don't sit on our butt and we just kind of sit in a crouching position and ride out that storm. Um, how many strikes do you think we had within a half mile of us? I mean, that's a two seconds till a boom. I mean, we had a lot of flash booms that were hundreds of yards away or 50 yards away Mm from us, but there had to be – Thirty strikes inside a half mile, fifty strikes inside mm-hmm. a half mile? I mean it feels like somebody's shooting at you. it feels like you're in war at that right. point. Yeah. And you try to ride one of those out on the top of the mountains, you just might die. You might get barbecued. So no, you don't mess around with those things, and I definitely don't mess around with those things. I've always got and that's a good point too, is the lightning plan. And yeah. you really got a plan for it. When it gets dark, um that's where you can get in your worst scenarios. Well
1: yeah, I mean it's one of those things. It sounds silly to make a plan. It's like uh when you're talking to your kids about like what's our fire plan? How are we gonna get out of the house if there's a fire? Same thing with a lightning plan. You want a lightning plan because you need to know where you're gonna go because man, if you just freaked out and jumped out of your tent, you could be right off a cliff versus okay, we're gonna go over here, we're gonna turn our headlamps on, we're gonna follow this ravine down, or we're gonna you know, Mm -hmm. we're gonna try to get to this point. And if we get separated, we're going to try to get to this point. Yep. So that at the end of the, you know, show, you can be like, "All right, okay, Brian's right over there, he's safe. I'm here. We're we're down low. We're we're where we're supposed to be." Whereas if you didn't have that kind of plan and, you know, shit hits the fan, you know, how many people have been in that kind of rodeo before to know what to do, mm-hmm. you know? And trying to make your way down something that steep in the dark while it's raining, while you're getting, you know, shot at by lightning, you know, it's just not something everybody does all the time. Mm-hmm. But if you take the the time to go, okay, this is where we're going to go. And I even went down there that night to get water because I was out of water and just needed to go down there and was like, all right, yep, this is, if I go down this way, this will be safe. And, you know, it's not anything anybody wants to have to deal with. But if you make that little bit of a effort to make a plan, It
0: was so much easier when shit hits the fan. Oh, right. And when you're in that scenario, you may not think about it, may not be a big deal, but you get in one of those bad scenarios in the middle of the night, it scares the hell out of Mm you, you know, and I, I got one in one in that mountain range by myself. And I don't know if it was before me and you went in there or after we went in there. I can't remember, but I had, I always look at the forecast before I go and I print out a 10 day forecast. i had printed out a forecast. It was supposed to be clear that night, no storms coming in. Then the next day there were supposed to be storms. So I can't pretty high on this saddle up and on this ridge line or whatever. Cause there was no storms yep. coming in. It's supposed to be Safe fine. Time. Yeah. And, uh, didn't really make too much of a lightning plan or anything, just sleeping, going to get up in the morning and check out these mule deer. But it was a sketchy, steep spot. You can imagine in, the, in that mountain range, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I was sleeping in a bivy sack, and in the middle of the night, 1, 2 in the morning, the first lightning strike— hit right above my head within, you know, one of those ones, it was within a hundred yards. Oh, Jesus. I mean, just deafens you. And it, the whole, everything lights up and just, holy shit, you know, and a laying in my bag going, oh my gosh, you know, and then all of a sudden another one and another one. And pretty soon I'm out of my bag and I have a raincoat on and I'm diving down the hill. I have no idea where I'm at or where I'm headed in the dark. And I ride out a lot of the storm down there, you know, kind of in the trees away from camp and it kind of lets up a little Bit and I, I get back up and I got oh, gosh, dang it, that was close. It just scares the hell out of me. I got back up in my tent and I laid back down in my bag and in my bivy sack and laid down, and just shut my eyes and then right above me again. Bup. You know, another one striking. I thought I'm out of here. You know, and so I grabbed all my stuff middle of the night, and I'm trying to hike down those cliffs with my pack, with lightning all around me. It's so sketchy. You just really learn your lessons. That man, oh man, you just can't, you can't push that stuff. You got to be prepared for it and have a plan for it. And what's the old um, saying? An ounce of prevention. Yes, for sure. That definitely holds true take, with lightning. Take the ten minutes to figure out how you're going to get
1: out because if it goes down. you're you know, you'll be way safer. You know, seventy-degree slopes in the middle of the night when it's raining and somebody shooting at you? No oh, thanks.
0: Yeah, right. Um, no, and and you just gotta you gotta go through your list of things and things you need to handle. And that good buddy of ours, or you know, it just uh, I consider him a friend, and um, you probably know him a little bit better than me. But Todd, or mm-hmm. like with the grizzly bear track, um, he was attacked. You know, right across the valley from where I live on a trailhead that i use regularly yeah totally. i i had an elk camp in there for years i mean i can't tell you how many times i ran that trail this summer you know i run it with bear spray and try to stay aware i don't listen to my headphones when i'm trail running back there but todd is a super knowledgeable guy as far as backcountry i mean he spends as many days or more than we do in the backcountry oh, he does sure. he works trails he's a heck of an elk hunter a heck of a woodsman and he went up there prepared with bear spray and a pistol and then you know was got attacked up there a couple times by that Henri Grizz up there but Grizzlies are another thing that you got to prepare for and be aware of and and just prepare for backcountry dangers because at the snap of a finger things can go wrong and and like you say an ounce of of preparedness what was the saying how's the saying go? I I,
1: ounce of prevention is worth a pound of (laughs)
0: I don't remember goes, <laughs> yeah i like it pre- whatever wherever you're going yeah. with the saying i like it House uh, a prevention but uh yeah
1: it's one of those things like you know uh, what we do can turn dangerous very quickly and a lot of us take it for granted because we do it all the time yep you know and not that todd took it for granted or not that you or i take it for granted in the lightning situations but you know there's so many people who just most of the time are not going to get in trouble and man you can get in trouble so fast you mm-hmm. know having the right equipment having a, a a lightning plan having a backup plan like what am i going to do if if i get mangled you know carrying a spot with you carrying a in reach
0: um yeah i run that in reach do yep. you run that now yep
1: Yeah actually lost my spot so i have no clue where that's at. left
0: that up on the mountain somewhere no it's it's somewhere in the move
1: or in the middle of moving, oh okay right? all right <laughs> so it, it, one of these days it's going to pop back up but no uh having an in reach or even a spot you know to where you might not be any telling your buddies where you're at but man if if it goes south and you have the ability to hit that sos button you know just being prepared uh even you know something as simple as an antelope hunt you know uh Lightning storms a roll over antelope country just like that, like no problem. Um, snakes, you know, getting yes. bit by snakes or, you know, running into whatever, running into bears or, you know. Yeah,
0: whatever. rattlesnakes are a big one that we don't touch on very often. Yeah. Those things will sketch me out more than bears walking around in snake country.
1: And the problem is where we hunt, they have both grizzly bears
0: and rattlesnakes. So. <laughs> yes, yeah. well, I, you know, those rattlesnakes, um, and I keep a pretty good – eye for them and i'm pretty aware but you get chase an elk or chase an antelope or whatever it is and run into one but you'd hate to step on one of those things being three hours away from the hospital i i ran into him backcountry mule deer yeah. hunting too in high desert um probably the worst scenario i've ran into me and my buddy dan we about stepped on one it was a live grenade oh one of the worst ones is um so we were hiking up and we were elk hunting and uh just about ready to put my foot down and right below my foot is a rattlesnake all coiled up and so i did that hop instantly hop and then i i hit my feet and as i'm in the air this this rattlesnake that was coiled had a bunch of baby rattlesnakes that were coiled around it and there had to be like 60 rattlesnakes gosh, that were gosh. all yeah like <laughs> landmines laying there so i'm in air and i see baby ones coiled around it and so my other foot hits the ground and then instantly i'm back up in the air doing as <laughs> these hops as quick as i can go just scared the hell out of me but i never never got bit by that one and the baby rattlers were pretty small but still you don't want to have one you don't want to step right on one and see what happens you know especially the tennis shoes i run everywhere you know um yeah that one and then i had another bad situation that i got into at night where i chased a bull in night and then i was coming up this ridge and as i was coming up the ridge
1: you were all coming at night
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. That's when the best hunting is, is at night. Yeah, totally. When the the moon is out. Yeah, yeah. Moonlit. Yeah, no, that's great hunting. Yeah. And nobody's out. No pressure. It's great. Uh, But no, I was, uh, so hunting till dark and then I was walking out at night back to my truck and I was walking up this ridge back to my truck and all of a sudden this rattlesnake rattles. Well, that one rattles and then two or three others rattle around it on the ridge. Yeah, it's like you don't know where to go and I can't even see the one that's rattling, much less the two or three that other ones would rattle, but they just set off on this ridge and there i think i ran into like six or eight of them coming out in this ridge in the middle of the night just scare the heck out of you with those things looking around and and you don't really think about them until you see one and then it's like they're everywhere you know every place you look or every place you step you're looking for them but yeah i don't like those things either but there's a bunch of there's a bunch of things in the backcountry that can get you, and you you got to be you gotta respect them, but you can't let fear control you either. Like, if you were scared of grizzly bears, you'd never go into the mountains, or if you were scared of lightning, you'd never hunt high country mule deer. So you have to conquer your fears, but just be respectful of them and make a game plan for them so you can conquer them. I think that's the key.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, like you said, it, if you're afraid of stuff and you're not going to go, then you know you've lost that
0: battle yeah you can't let the fear control you gotta have respect for it have a plan definitely
1: have respect because you know
0: don't
1: don't toy with the rattlesnake who's all coiled up just walk around him he'll 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 keep to his own you'll keep to your own you're good to go you know but yeah definitely be aware those kind of things are out there
0: well and even the challenges you know just like you're saying antelope but just being away from your pack and, and not having your rain gear with you and getting soaking wet and hypothermic, that can happen quick too. And that can happen not very far from home. That's the other thing a lot of
1: people think. you got to be really far back to get in trouble. I mean, you could be in the brakes. You could be a half a mile from your truck and get rained on and get cold and get hypothermic or get bit by a rattlesnake. Well, you're only half a mile from your truck, but you're three hours from a hospital Yes. You know, same thing, you know, hunting antelope, you know, it could roll over you. Next thing you know, you're soaking wet, you're tired, you're, you know, dehydrated. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to be miles back to be in
0: Oh, dehydrated is a big one too. Yep. Exhaustion sickness or elevation yep. sickness. I've had quite a few buddies been hit with that before. I haven't seen you come down. You keep yourself in really good shape. Lately I'm, you've been I'm, crossfitting, I'm, which is crazy. I'm,
1: I'm a very, very grouchy individual if I don't have enough water. So I just make it a point to stop whatever i'm doing and go get water i learned that i learned that lesson the hard way a long time ago that without water feels no fun so
0: gotcha no you do pretty good but i've seen exhaustion sickness hit other people and it's even hit me too when i was younger chasing elk one time back in the hill guards i was chasing this herd and chasing this herd and i was trying to find a six point bull in the herd and it was five point five point five point but i just kept chasing them and i was dang near running with the herd and i'm up at ten thousand feet and, and I made myself sick because I pushed too hard and I wasn't training as hard as I should have been back then. Wasn't in decent enough shape. You know, I was just, I was just young and full of go, but I made myself sick where I was puking, lay down flu, like symptoms. And I've had quite a few buddies that have been hit with it before. You were telling me last year, you had a couple of buddies go on trips that just
1: weren't up to snuff and getting sick and and can't go. And you know That
0: brings the whole crew down. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, two years ago, but yeah, no, two buddies in the same year on two different trips got sick. And, you know, elevation, oh, God, I heard this stat the other day that, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I really like the stat. It was like for every thousand feet of elevation that you're not acclimated to, um, you're 3% less effective. So, if you're going up like me, I live at 5,000 feet. If I'm hunting at 12,000 feet, 7,000 feet times three, I'm 21% less effective at that elevation than I am at my acclimated elevation. Right. So, it puts that much more strain on you. And then, like me and you can walk anywhere, we'd hike anywhere, run anywhere, but you start sticking a 40 pound pack on you, all of a sudden that exertion level goes out, but you can make yourself sick. Like I call it exhaustion sickness, where you just push harder than your physical fitness level and you you make yourself sick you're throwing up you can't keep food down you can't keep water down and you're still at this high elevation you can't get yourself feeling right from it and like my one buddy he had to give up on his hunt he was sick for two days in there and i was finally getting worried about him he was able to get out on his own power or whatever but yeah i mean it's dangerous you start making yourself sick like that and it can happen in a hurry
1: oh yeah it's one of those things where um you know especially the way people train you don't have to go hard when you're hunting in fact you don't want to go hard when you're hunting you you want to go as hard as it takes to get the job done but like you know i've been trail running with you i do exercise on my own but when we actually get to hiking up something we're not trying to race to the top Mm -hmm. i'm not trying to race you you're not trying to race me a lot of people think you just gotta go 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 hard all year long you know and once you're in a hunting situation like you're you know when you go and exercise you're trail running every day you're doing all that but when you get into the hunting situation, you're trying to go at a pace that can sustain for the entire trip. Yeah, very that's good point. That's what you're training for. Yep. You're, not, you're not training to go hard for day one through three. You're training so that you can go at a moderate pace the entire trip. And I think that's what a lot of guys get themselves in trouble doing. Like, especially, you know, they draw, draw a mule deer tag in Wyoming. They've never been to Wyoming before. They've been training hard, but they want to go hard once they get there. You don't have to go hard. You you know, you can, you can go up it at half page. You can, you know, if your buddy's burning you to the top, let him burn you to the top. You know, if he's in way better shape than you, like I hunt with you and Steve all the time. And when you guys start peeling away from me halfway up the hill, I'm not going to try to keep up because I know in two days I'll still be able to make that, you know, climb to the top every day. Yeah. Uh, A lot of guys get it in their head that, I trained hard all year, now I have to go hard while I'm hunting. No, no, no. You wanna you wanna come back and sustain. So you can take a ten day hunt and not blow it in two days by going so hard. Or if you haven't been training, screw the whole thing up by not even being in shape, mm-hmm. you know, and never having that ability to get to the high country.
0: Yeah. So you're right. So you want to go hard and explore basins and hunt your hardest, but you want like a sustained pace. Yep. You want a pace that you can carry day after day yep. after day. And, and, you're, and if that's quarter speed, yep. let it be quarter speed. Yep. If it's half speed, let it be half speed. Yep. You know, you know the, the harder you
1: train, the the faster you'll be able to go. So like, your training you'll be able to go let's say you can go three-quarter speed well i can only go half speed yep well i'm gonna go half speed because i'll be able to make it the whole trip if i try to go three-quarter speed to try to keep up with you i'm gonna burn out in four days and then i'm shot and then Mm -hmm. what are you gonna do you know you you spent all this time and energy getting equipment getting good you know um burning all your points and then you just blew it up by trying to just you know go harder than you can
0: yeah no you're right Uh, and you're really modest too you're a really good hiker i don't (laughs) i don't think i ever leave you behind or not too often but um only there's a big muley shed up there then you'll leave me right yeah that's happened before um but you're right you don't want to redline your exertion level you want to pace out and i noticed too like and i you know the harder you train like you say the faster you can go and the more miles you can go a day before you're redlining and wearing yourself out. So the harder you train, the better off you are. And you want to push hard on a hunt, but you got to be careful not to redline. You want a sustained pace. And like I notice, like I have a limit on myself too. I know I can do, you know, whatever it is, eight miles a day, 3,000 vertical feet. If I start pushing over that, I'm redlining where, sure, I can do it, but the next day I'm going to pay for it. And not that I'm going to be so stoved up where I can't move or anything, I'm just going to be tired and dragged down, mm-hmm. and my mood starts to fade, too. Yeah. I'm not as positive, I'm not as go get attitude, I'm not, I don't have a sustained pace. I've redlined, and now I've burned myself out, and I've done it so many times that I keep a really good monitor on my exertion level and on my pace, and sometimes it's worth it and I'll roll the dice, I'll see a muley yeah. way in the hill over there, and I know i got a 20-mile day, and I'll roll the dice and say, I'm going to go for it even yeah. though I'm going to pay for it tomorrow or whatever it is, but you're so right, you want to find this pushing hard exploring basins hunting hard but sustained pace and not pushing over your limits
1: yeah because once you go over your limit once you once your brain goes once your attitude goes you're done
0: there's nothing left yep
1: your body could go for three more weeks but once your attitude goes you know you're done you're thrown in the towel and that's the thing is you know when you redline on day two or three you know you're out of water you're dehydrated you're you're in a bad mood you want to get up on day four and do it again, mm-hmm. go down to that water supply, you don't you know, do it 1500 feet below you and then hike back up, you know, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's hard to do unless you've done it a bunch yep. and blown yourself up doing it. It's just, I should almost po- call this uh, podcast, the experience podcast, because it's all about experience, you know, whether it's shooting whether it's training, whether it's, you know, uh, getting in position on animals, like uh, the more experience you can gain, the more you're going to realize what you can and what you can't do, what you need to work on and, and how to improve yourself to mm-hmm. where, you know, that next trip, when you do finally maybe draw that newly tag again, that you've been waiting, you know, eight points to get again, you're not going to make the same mistakes. You're mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to go easy. I'm gonna let my friend burn me to the top, whatever I'm gonna be going my pace the entire trip the seven to ten days, you know and and come out on it the other side, more successful for it,
0: for yeah, sure. for sure. Well, and I think now there's so much knowledge out there, and with like these podcasts and getting out information, guys can really shorten their learning curve to be more effective you know, you just have to believe what you hear and go, yeah, I'll, I think those guys are right. I think I don't want a red line on my next hunt and I don't want to blow myself up, but you can really shorten the learning curve with all the information out there nowadays mm-hmm. to really get a lot better at hunting, you know, a lot quicker than me and you did learning all our lessons the hard, the way. hard way. Yeah. And the biggest thing is when you learn a lesson is to pay attention to yep. it, not make the same mistakes over and over again. But yeah, no, I think that's such a good point is this sustainability on a hunt you know pacing yourself out
1: and if a guy really wants to get good at backcountry hunting he needs to do death by burpees every single day
0: <laughs> that's your new deal huh
1: no i hate death by burpees.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh those burpees are so good for you so i gotta go in there and do that with you guys death by burpees you were telling me about that the other day over and over and over again just a bunch of burpees huh
1: yep. you do a burpee a minute adding to the minutes as you go so on the first minute you do one burpee and you wait around until that minute comes by and then minute two you do two and then minute three you do three and then minute four you do four until you either can't do enough burpees in the minutes supplied so let's say you get to 11 and you only do 10 you're done
0: or you puke and fall over and you're like i'm done i can't do anymore (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's good to push and find your limits in training, though. And that just pushes the bar for on your hunts. Like you say, the better shape you come in, the harder you can push on those hunts before you start redlining and losing your attitude and that.
1: For sure. Yeah. Like, you know, one of the spots we uh, scouted, it's just a miserable prick of a mountain range. And at the end of the trip, I was like, nope, way beyond my limits. That's all you. But it was something that I had done that was so far beyond the limits that I had done at that point that the rest of the season when I was going into mountain ranges that I normally thought were kind of a bugger and, you know, steep and big and tall and mean is like, not anymore. Like they don't even compare you know for
0: sure well i'm uh i've got my heart set i'm going back to that range oh, yeah. this year yeah so you're welcome to come with me it might be a little bit later as i might draw another state but i'm making the time to hunt that range again i just got to get in there and i'm going to scout it hard this summer so you're welcome to come try to kill yourself on the scouting trips again <laughs> this summer <laughs> and then come in and hunt it with me but it is a fun range to hunt it's really tough and grueling but you get away from the pressure that way
1: oh yeah no I'm- It's been long enough. I forgot how much it sucked. I'd deal with you.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, now that you've done death by burpees, (laughs) I'll I'll be chasing you up the hill. (laughs) so well right on man thanks a bunch for um doing eastman's elevated i really appreciate you're a really good friend of mine i always like hanging out with you always like hunting with you so thanks a bunch for being on and and sharing some tips and secrets that help you be successful
1: yeah no problem hopefully hopefully we didn't
0: ramble too hard but oh we rambled but that's the podcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure so yeah right on well thanks again phil yeah okay all right guys that's a wrap another episode in the books um, really fun one for me to have my buddy Phil on here, and he's just so knowledgeable about archery and rifle and, and executing and western hunting. Uh, so so good episode and really fun to have him on there. And, and I just can't believe how fast these things are clicking off. These episodes just once a week, and we just keep getting them out there. And, and I'm just really excited that we don't have, you know, the run-of-the-mill guests. And there's a lot of good guests out there, but I like having on these do-it-yourself public land hunters that are getting it done that that people haven't heard of or maybe not everybody has heard of. And and so really cool, going to continue to do that. And I've got... I've got a bunch recorded I'm sitting on now, and and a bunch with my buddies, um, telling tales of adventures we've had, and, and with, with good hunting tips and tactics, and then just continuing to get new guests on, and, and trying to record as many as I can, and just hone my skills at, at this podcasting trade, I just, uh, I love the platform, I know I've said that before, but, um, can't thank you guys enough for for all your support, Facebook, Instagram, uh, downloads on the podcast. Um, your, your reviews on iTunes have really helped me out, so I really appreciate it, guys. Um, I can't say that enough. You guys have just been great with the support, so just going to continue to work hard on my end. Um, today's sponsor was Hornady Bullets. Make sure to give them some love, that uh, ELDX bullet. Like I say, my buddy Pat says it's one of the best bullets made, and I, I really trust what he says. Um, and then, you know, make sure to go to Eastman's and I know we mentioned the, the e-news, make sure you subscribe to that. And also that YouTube and the new app, um, boy. And with that, I mean, that's a wrap on this episode. Just keep getting these things out. Uh, bear season for me opens on Saturday. Um, so I'm beyond excited. Uh, that early season can be a little bit tough, and I know I've got to do a deal for Easter on Sunday. But uh, I'm gonna get out Saturday and go put some miles on and take my bow for a walk and and just start to get into this bear season. So I've got a, a couple months of it, and uh, on this public land and self guided, um, you know, it's it's just not easy. You got to put in your days and and you put in your miles and put in your hours behind the glass. So I'm just so excited to get back in the woods and go chasing things around so i can't wait for my first sighting i think i got my buddy dan coming down he's gonna come down oh he's got a few days off next week and so he'll come down and i'll try to work during the day and get all my stuff done and then we'll go out in the evenings and go chase those things around and hopefully one of us will find one and and get a stock and get one of those thrilling encounters you know that we haven't had since fall uh Um, So I I just love bow hunting. I'm so excited for this season. I'm in for for more tags and more states than I've ever been and and planning a bunch of really cool hunts and going to try to capture a couple of them on film. And and, uh, so just really excited at where things are going and and the time I'm getting in the field and um, just keep rocking and rolling. So uh, thanks again, guys, for all the support and I'll check in with you next week.